Okay, we come to the point in our worship as we do every week that we gather together to uh, hear from the Bible, from God's Word. And the passage that we're considering here um, this morning is from the book of 1 Chronicles. Now, if you're somewhat new to the Bible, that may be uh, a problem for you. You're like, well, what, what, where is 1 Chronicles? And really, what is 1 Chronicles all about? And so, first of all, 1 Chronicles is part of what we call the historical books of the Old Testament. So you have the books 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. And um, if, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, um, it'll be on the overhead as well. As you know, though, I oftentimes encourage us as a congregation to uh, think about maybe breaking past tradition where we've always had Bibles in the pews. We don't have them here, so it's always good to bring a Bible along. Okay, First Chronicles chapter um, 29. I want to give you a quick background uh, to this. Well, for our sake here as a congregation who've gone through the series that we have during the summer, but especially if you're new, you're probably wondering why has this passage been chosen. The passage that we're dealing with very quickly this morning revolves around um, a man in the, in the Bible who is the most well-known uh, king of the Old Testament. His name is David. His name is David. And um, what we've been doing in this, in this uh, church is we've been going through a series, a Bible-based series on the life of King David. Now, if you're going to follow everything about what the Bible says about King David, you, you'd be here a very, very long time. So what we've done is we've kind of looked at an abbreviated, condensed series on King David, and we've looked at the, the heights and the depths of King David. So David, David was, a, was a man known as a man after God's own heart, a righteous king, but like all of us, we may have some strengths about us, but we also know, if we're honest with ourselves, that we are capable of great moral depths as well, and so too with David. So David was a righteous king, but he experienced this meteoric fall where he actually came to the point of, of committing adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, but not only that, he was also implicated in the murder of her husband Uriah. He was also engaged in deceit and lies and cover-up and a lot of really bad stuff. And God, rather than just taking David by the neck and saying, I'm done with you and I'm going to destroy you, he's not that kind of God. In the life of his children, even those who fall very seriously, God sets out not to destroy them, but to restore them. God did that by sending a prophet named Nathan to David to confront David. And when David was confronted with his adultery and murder and lies and deceit and all of that, he didn't make excuses. He didn't deny it. But what he did is he came clean before God and he confessed it. And God said, because you confessed, you are forgiven, but doesn't mean that you're not going to have consequences for what you've done. There are going to be problems in your kingdom and in the lives of your children. And if you were here two weeks ago... Because last week, if you remember, I was in Refuge Christian Church leading worship services there. But if you're here two weeks ago, remember we saw the story of David's eldest son, Amnon, who was involved in incest, murder, rape, and deceit, and manipulation, and all these ugly things. So what God said about consequences came true, because when God promises something... It always comes to pass. All right. Now, finally, we move ahead many, many years to the end of David's life. In fact, David in this passage is gone. He's dead. question is, what is this passage going to say about David? What's going to be the final word that the Bible gives on David? You know? And the interesting thing is, you would think that there would be a 
damning indictment of David in the Bible's assessment of him. But that's not what we find. What we find is grace. That's good news. That gives us hope. All right, with that background now, let's look at this passage. First Chronicles 29, beginning verse 26, just these few verses. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. That's a long time. He reigned for seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. And now the acts of King David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel, the seer, and in the chronicles of Nathan, the prophet, and in the chronicles of Gad, the seer, with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel and all the kingdoms of the countries. And that's how it ends. That's all it says about King David. It's interesting in this passage, it mentions three individuals, Nathan and also Gad and Samuel, and these all chronicled the life of King David, which is a really full life. And he reigned, as the Bible says, for 40 years, seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. Man, a lot, a lot was said about David, a lot was recorded about David. And yet the final words that we read in this passage, David's what we call epitaph, that is the the final words that we find about, about David, the stuff that you would read on his tombstone read like this. Here lies King David, a man who lived to a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And we look at this and we kind of go, okay, Gad and Samuel and Nathan recorded a lot of things about David, but here in the final analysis, in the epitaph, nothing is written about the dirt of David's life. Do you notice that? Nothing about adultery, nothing about murder, nothing about lies, nothing about manipulation, nothing about deceit, all these darker things. It's only the good. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. That's what we're left with. Let me ask you this, and then I want to get into the passage. This is what it said about David. What's going to be said about you when you're gone? What are people going to say about you when you're gone? Kids, God could take you tonight. I pray it won't happen, but he could take you tonight. I've seen in the ministry, God takes little children, not just adults, not just old people. In the month after you're gone... What are people going to say about you? How long are they going to remember you, number one? And and secondly, what what are they going to say? Oh, I remember so-and-so. Ah, good kid, good kid. Or, oh, I remember so-and-so. Yeah, generally good kid. But I remember when he or she did this or said this or that, you know, and maybe it wasn't a good thing. What are they going to say about you? Those of you who are older here, you don't have much time left, maybe a few years. God could take you also tonight. What are people going to say about you? What are the stories they're going to tell? Hmm? Good stories? If they know you well, some bad stories? And finally this, what about those of you here with um, a checkered past? 
You know, um, those of you who maybe were caught in certain things that, that people remember, what, a, uh, what are people going to say about you? Are these going to be kind? Or maybe they'll be kind. We usually are with, with people who have died. But, but, but we remember, remember things that they have done or things that they have said. So, so what's going to be... Here we are. We'll collectively put ourselves together. What are people going to say about us? And most importantly, what is God going to think about us? What is God going to say about us? And you know what our passage basically is getting at here is a major theme here is that for the child of God, for those who belong to Jesus, for those who confess the name of Jesus, no matter what we have done, what's going to be said, hopefully, by others, and what will be said by God above all, assuredly is this, saved by grace and washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's, that's good news. And I'm going to underscore this good news and fill it out as we take a look at the passage. All right. Now, obviously, the passage is about David. Not David while he's alive, but David now who is gone. But when, when David was alive, when we look at his life, we see David was really quite an extraordinary figure. Now, I don't know. Maybe some of you here are really, I said, I don't even really know anything about David. Or maybe I once learned some things about David, but I've forgotten. Here's some things about David very quickly. When you look at the Bible, you see that David... He was, a, he was a very talented individual. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was, he was a man, if you want to explore sometime, this middle book of the Bible called the Psalms. He didn't write all of them, but he wrote many of them, which revealed David's heart and which revealed many times when he was down and there are many people who were trying to kill him as a king, but he kept trusting in God, pouring out his heart before God. David was a man of confidence. David was a man of faith. David was a man of courage. David was a righteous king compared to many of the kings of Israel. And as I said before the scripture reading, David was a man after God's own heart. doesn't get any better than that. But like all of us, David was capable of some pretty down and dirty things, which we looked at, I don't know, maybe it's about a month ago now here, where David fell into adultery, and David fell into a murder plot, David fell into lies and deceit, and long-time cover-up before he was confronted by a prophet. You know, it's, it's the kind of stuff, it's the kind of stuff that you, you read as you're going through the checkout line, maybe at Walmart or wherever store you go, and they always, what do they have there in the checkout, by the checkout counter? I always got those, t- not only can you get your gum if you want your gum, if you forget, or whatever, but you get, you get, you get the tabloids there. And what, the tabloids, you don't even have to open it, you get to see the, what's going on in the world according to the tabloids, and it's always dirt. And if David were alive, we would read things like this. On the front covers, King David denies affair with woman. King David confesses to adultery. King David implicated in murder. King David's family a mess, like father, like sons. And, you know, it's interesting that when you go through a series on David, you can read about a lot of neat things about David, but isn't it interesting? It's the dirty, icky stuff that we remember. That's, that's a natural human tendency. Coming from the States and having lived in the States um, much of my life and also during the 1990s, we had a president called Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was, even though you may not like his perspective, he was a pretty polished politician. 
He's very good with words. By the time he was done with his presidency, there was no debt. We had met our budget. Now in the States, like in Canada, we're in over our heads in debt. But not during Bill Clinton's reign. So he did a lot of quote-unquote good things in the minds of many people. But what's the one thing that he's always remembered for? Yeah, I heard that. Monica Lewinsky. Good. Monica Lewinsky, right? Oh, that young intern. Well, we knew. I heard all the stories. It was all there. Pasted all over the papers at the time when they still had papers and all on the news and everything. That's what we remember him for. And honestly, when we look at our own lives... We can look and, and we, we say, you know what, um, this is a good thing, or I, I, I got this award for such and such, or I said this and such, or I encouraged so and so. We can remember these things. But what keeps sticking with us throughout our lives? Those things that we have done in our lives, the things that we have said, the things that we have did that, that, that have produced in us a certain measure of regret and shame, and we say to ourselves, especially as we get older, oh, if I would have only known then what I know now, right? And it's hard, it's hard to get over the fact that, that in our hearts we kind of go, if I remember that... God, who examines the open books on our final day, is going to remember that. And it ain't going to be pretty. That, that's, if you have any me- uh, measure of spiritual sensitivity and you're willing to, to, to come clean with God, that, that's the way oftentimes we think. And yet our passage, again for the child of God, our passage doesn't allow us to do that. It doesn't allow us to go there. I mean, we know that the books are going to be open. We know that our lives are going to be evaluated on the basis of what we have done and things that we have said. But in the final analysis, we can't go there and think, that's it, God knows, God is mad, and that's it. At least not on the basis of our passage. All the things that David did, all the things that he did, which I'm not going to rehearse again now because I've already stated it a couple of times, and yet in the final analysis says that he died at a good old age, not shortened life, good old age, full of days, riches, and disgrace, honor. Honor. Now, that is, that is not something that is easily said about most of the kings of Israel. When you take a look at most of the kings of Israel, the Bible doesn't leave us with a lot of good news. So David is different in that way. Let me give you an example, A.V., if you can put it on now, from 2 Kings 15. Follow along with me. Here are some final words on some kings. And Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned six months, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Shalom conspired against him and killed him and reigned in his place. That's the, those are the final words. So you have this Zechariah, a king. He only rules for six months, and then he's assassinated. That's all we're left with. Followed by this. Bekaiah became king and reigned for two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Pekah conspired against him and struck him and killed him and reigned in his place. Well, that's a little bit better. At least he reigned two years and then was assassinated, but that's not good news still. 
And Pekah reigned 20 years, that's even better. And Hosea, though, conspired against him and killed him and reigned in his place. Another assassination. And Jotham became king and did what was right in the sight of the Lord. All right. But unfortunately, it was only partial reformation. Only the high places of worship were not taken away. And Azariah became king, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, partial reformation. The high places were not taken down, and so the Lord struck him, and he became a leper to the day of his death. Not full of days, riches, and honor. No, he died a leper. And then we find this said, a particularly sad story. If you put it up from Second Chronicles, there we go. And Jehoram became king and reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease, that at the end of two years his bowels came out, and he died in great pain, and he died to no one's regret, and they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. (laughs) What an awful story. The Lord strikes him. For two years, he's got some situation in his stomach, some situation, his bowels, and then his bowels come out. Do you really want, to, want me to go and describe what that probably was like? I'm not going to do that. And then he dies in that way. And the worst thing is, after he dies in this horrible, painful way, nobody cared. Nobody regretted that he died. Talk about a guy who's quickly forgotten by the people of his time. I mean, these are not stories of triumph. These are stories of tragedy. Now, you contrast what I've just read from the Bible regarding these kings, and there are other stories like this. And you you, you contrast this with David, and then you you honestly, this morning, we have to look at this and we kind of go, well, okay, uh, maybe David overall was a bit better than these people, but still, David got stuck in some really bad things as well, serious stuff, adultery and murder and lies and deceit. And there's also another story in the Bible where David, as a, as a king and as a military tactician, decided to take a census of his troops. Remember that? Where he looked over his troops and he wanted to count them to make sure that he had enough troops and enough troop strength to be able to defeat his enemies? And remember how God became very angry at that. And you say, why was he angry? Because David was not ultimately trusting in the strength of the Lord, but in the strength of his army. You know, the Lord's like, you know what? Even if there were three to fight against a thousand, I'd give you the victory. Don't you trust me in this? David did not. Another low point. And because of that, many people were afflicted by the hand of God and died because of David. Yeah, David ain't, David ain't pretty either. And in a sense, he is no better than the kings that I just read about here. So then, here's the question. Why is it, why is it that in the end, though David was no better than these other kings, fundamentally, when you examine his life, why is it that the Bible ends with these words, but he died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor? Or to put it another way, what's the one thing that distinguished David, not only from these other kings, but what is the one thing that distinguishes the Christian from the non-Christian? 
Assuming that we understand that the Christian and the non-Christian are fundamentally no different. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that keeps us from pointing fingers at people who don't go to church or point fingers at people who are not Christians because fundamentally we're no different. So if we're fundamentally no different, then what's the difference between receiving a good word and a good conclusion on our life from the Lord and those who don't? Anybody know? What's the one thing that distinguishes us? Anybody? I'm looking for one word, one thing that distinguishes David from the kings and us from non-Christians. What is it? Grace. Grace that is manifest through what? Repentance. Right? Repentance. Grace is right. Okay? But grace, when God's grace works in a person's life, it always brings that person to a point of coming to the end of themselves in order that they might find forgiveness. That's the one thing. So, now, what's repentance? What is repentance? Um, When you think of repentance, think of, and I say this very simply for those of you who have no concept of what repentance is and also for the sake of children. Think of three C's. Contrition, confession, conversion. So repentance, coming to the end of yourself before God, begins with contrition. Contrition means just a sorrow, a sorrow for who you are and what you have done before the face of God. I have, I have in, the, in the ministry, in all the churches I've served, I've never known a genuine Christian who did not understand what repentance was. And that too, not just in a theoretical way, but in a deeply experiential way. So true repentance begins with contrition, a sorrow for sin. Then it is followed by confession. That is, where in the sorrow, you don't come to the end of that sorrow and kind of start shifting and then you start denying your sin or making excuses for it or minimizing it or rationalizing it. But what you do is you come clean before God as you confess it before him like David did when he was caught by the prophet Nathan. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. That was his confession. So contrition, confession, followed by this, conversion. And conversion is, a, is, a, is, a, is an about face, right? So I've explained this before. In the military, they teach you an about face, you know, like this. It's just a, it's a turnaround. It's a 180-degree turnaround. What are you turning from? Well, you're turning from, you're turning from sin to Christ for the for the forgiveness of your sin, because Christ alone has come into this world to pay the sacrifice of his own death in, for, for our sakes as a substitute so that we might be set free from our sin and placed in right standing before God. And here's the thing. The, the, the process of life that we go through leading to repentance, and repentance itself, listen to this, is oftentimes really painful, and that's why most people don't want to do it. Well, number one, because they're proud, but number two, it's really, really painful, okay? Um, but, but here's the good news, the end is always sweet. First the pain, and then the pleasure. Now, why do I bring that out? Because that's precisely what we see in the life of King David. So if you put up um, the third up there, this comes from Psalm 51 and, and 32. Okay, follow with me these words. Here's the pain. You can sense it in David's words. He comes to the end of himself and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, and cleanse me of my sin. 
You know what I've done, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, oh, only you have I sinned. So purge me, wash me, hide your face from my sins. Now, when I kept silent about my sins, Psalm 32, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day and night, for your hand was heavy upon me. So this is what the Lord does as an expression of what some of you said was His grace. When God's grace is upon a person, what He does is He leads them to the end of themselves so that they come to a point of repentance. And the way that that grace works is through His hand. David says, your hand was heavy upon me. When God works His grace in a person's life, He brings the pain of His heavy hand, but not to destroy them, but to draw them. To draw them to what? To a confession. Then David says, I finally confess my sin to you. You see the pain? Yeah, pain. Maybe some of you here experienced that, right? Where, you know, whether you, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but now you're, 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 you're seeing your need more and more. That's not a pleasant thing. And if you grew up in the church, but you kind of went through a period of your life where the Lord went after you like the, like, like the prodigal son, right? And he took hold of you. He made you like the prodigal son to sit in the pigsty first and experience the pain and displeasure of that before, you drew, before he drew you back to your father's house. Maybe you remember some of that pain or the lack of pleasure. Well, David experiences the pain, but then he experiences the pleasure. One final one. If you put that up there. Okay. Then David confesses, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So he's set free. And so I say, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Yes, be glad and rejoice, O righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Pain, but also the pleasure. You see the difference between David and those who went on before him, like King Saul and the other king. What's the difference? It's repentance. And that's why we get to read what we find here in our passage. So let me draw to a close and let me ask you this. You are here this morning. Is your, is your life so dark and is your sin so great, as we honestly deal with ourselves this morning, is your sin so great that, that it's actually greater than some others that we read about in the Bible? For instance, the prostitute who came weeping to Jesus because of her life, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Is your life so dark and is your sin so great that it's greater than the woman in John 8, I believe, who was caught in adultery? But that wasn't the end of her. Jesus looked at her and he said, does no one condemn you for this? Then neither do I condemn you. But sin no more. Go on and sin no more. Is your life so dark and is your sin so great Then it's greater than the sins of David who said, and I confess my sins to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Yeah, finally this, is your life so dark and dismal and are your sins so great that they are actually greater than God's ability to forgive? You know what the Bible teaches us is that there, there is no one who has crossed the point 
of no return if they are but willing to repent and entrust themselves to Christ. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you think about it, isn't that what, what David did? He confessed his sins before the Lord, repented, and he believed, and he received forgiveness and rest on the basis okay, of the Christ yet to come. Christ wasn't even in the world at that point, but God was already taking what the future work of Christ was going to be, and he credited it to David, he gave it to David on the basis of his repentance and his faith. And we have the pleasure, and we have the the. The beautiful conclusion of our lives can be this, that we have the opportunity to receive rest and forgiveness on the basis of repentance and faith, not on the basis of a Jesus who is yet to come, but on the basis of a Jesus who has come and has secured our deliverance and our forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross so that we may, like David, say, not condemned, but forgiven, is not condemned, but saved, ultimately by grace. And so what else can we do, and what else should we do, but just take hold of the very Jesus whom David embraced, yes, a Savior who earned for him this final epitaph, which is the epitaph for all those who have drawn near to Christ, Here lies a person full of days and full of riches and blessing and honor. That is the hope and that is the good news for the Christian. Let's bear that in mind. Let's come to the Lord and let's come to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the good news of the Bible. We thank You for, as John prayed earlier in our service. We thank you for the gospel. And as John prayed, Lord, make us a gospel-centered, Christ-centered church. Lord, we pray that for all of us. We pray that as the gospel is preached, we might not only be able to hear and to understand, but to embrace it in all its fullness. Father, make us all here this morning a repentant, and believing people, that we may know not just the joy of salvation, but so that we too will be able to say, yes, Lord, you have given me a long life full of days and riches and honor. God, grant us that, we pray, and to take great joy in that as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.